Let me pray for us. Father, you are a, a God who speaks. You're not a God who is far off and, and does not care for us. Instead, you have spoken through your word and you speak to us continuously through your spirit and through uh, the people that uh, embody your spirit. And so we thank you so much uh, for just your presence here among us today. We thank you for the word that is before us and just pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to behold all that you would have for us that we may uh, grow into Christ-likeness and uh, just bring you much glory in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to embark on a journey through the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And as I uh, have been studying and, and praying through and just reading through Mark, it just, it shocked me and almost put me to shame to think all the life of Jesus, you know, the, the life of Jesus that we think about, his, his ministry life, all happened in just three years. <laughs> you think... You think about it, I was thinking about myself in the last three years. It's like, now what in the world have I accomplished in three years? And it put me to shame. Because I'm thinking, absolutely nothing, especially in comparison to Jesus. He was so targeted, so focused, so serving and so sacrificial. And that's what we'll see repeatedly again and again through the Gospel of Mark. But the beauty of it all is that not, as you read the Gospel accounts, they are never meant to bring us to shame. Instead, they are to uh, show us the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. The Jesus who doesn't turn you away because you may have wasted three years. The Jesus who doesn't say, oh, well, you didn't do enough good work this week, so I'm not sure if I love you anymore. The gospel displays a Jesus much different than what we might imagine. The gospel accounts display a Jesus who is one who served and sacrificed for you, for me, for his people, for the nations to see. This is the Jesus that we must take hold of. Not one who is condemning of us, but instead one who... uh, Hates the sin that has robbed us of a relationship with him. He hates what sin has done to us eternally. That if we remain in our sin, we will be apart from God forever. He hates that in us, and so he has come to reconcile us to himself. In love, service, and sacrifice. That's what we will see in Christ in the gospel account. This book asks a key question in chapter 4, and you might be, uh, be aware of the stories where the disciples are on the boat with Jesus, and there's a storm, and he's sleeping, and so they're terrified, and they think they're going to die, and they come to Jesus and say, don't you care that we're about to perish? Jesus gets up, and he says, peace, be still, and the wind and the waves obey him, and the disciples ask this question. Which the, this entire gospel answers. They ask the question, who then is this? Who then is this? Or, or what sort of man is this? It's an amazing question because it is, recognizes the, the full humanity of Jesus. There's a man before us that the waves obey. What then is this? Who then is this? The gospel of Mark answers that question in a a pace that is swift compared to the other gospels 
And it's to the point compared to some of the other Gospels as well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel accounts recording the events of Jesus' lives. And Mark is the shortest, and it's to the point. He gets right to the basic facts about things, and he helps explain certain things. A little background about this book as we are going to dive into it for some time. To help us as we study together, Mark, the author, is seen numerous times in the New Testament. He's not just a one-off, but he's not necessarily heard of in, in the disciples of Jesus. You don't hear of this Mark. We, we read Mark, his uh, first name is actually John. He is called John Mark. We are told that in the book of Acts. He traveled with his cousin Barnabas, who you may recall his name, and the well-known Apostle Paul. Mark traveled with them. It says in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul, Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. But if you know uh, the book of Acts very well, you'll also know that Mark parted ways with Paul. And he became kind of a point of struggle between Paul and his dear friend Barnabas. Mark became this issue. It says in Acts chapter 15, it says, After some days, when Paul and Barnabas uh, said, Oh, sorry, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we've proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought it was best to take with them one who had, uh, sorry, Paul thought it was best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at uh, Pamphylia and not gone out from the work, which was found in Acts chapter 13, where Mark departed. He left them in their work. And Paul said, I don't think it's a good idea to take someone with us who's left us in our work, who left us in our labor. And then it carries on in Acts 15. It says, and then arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. A sharp disagreement about this man Mark caused strife in Paul's life with his friend Barnabas. And although there was some sort of disagreement, some sort of struggle early in his ministry, Paul was able to later commend Mark. When writing to the church at Colossae in the book of Colossians, he says, uh, uh, Aristocrus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome, Mark. He even goes on to say that Mark was needed and useful uh, in a letter to Timothy. It says, Luke alone, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. And so Paul reconciled himself uh, with Mark eventually. But he is most uh, near and dear to the Apostle Peter. Peter refers to this author, Mark, as a son at the end of his letter. He calls him a son. He's close to Peter. Uh, and Irenaeus, an early church father, uh, writing in about the year 185, called Mark the disciple and the interpreter of Peter, basically saying that this gospel according to Mark is 
is Mark jotting down all the accounts that Peter had told him. All that Peter had described to him in, in, in the form that was acceptable to the people where Mark was. So Mark was in Rome. And he's writing mainly to Roman people, whether that's Roman soldiers or just a Roman Gentile. He wasn't writing to a Jewish audience who was aware of the Jewish customs, perhaps. So sometimes he goes and he actually explains some of the customs. And then other things we'll notice about the Gospel of Mark compared to the others is he doesn't include some Jewish things or things that would be important to the Jews. He doesn't have an extended uh, discussion about Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. He, he doesn't talk about genealogies uh, like that was so important to the Jewish people. He doesn't talk about that. He actually, as you'll know, as we get into this book, he skips right over the birth account of Jesus altogether. And he jumps right into him at adulthood. And so it's amazing to see how Mark uh, records the events of Jesus' life. The beautiful thing about this gospel, according to Mark, is it's not about Mark. It's not about him at all. As much as we know some things about Mark, and that's great to have, he beautifully writes instead of Jesus. In a, in a way that's understandable. Fast-paced. One of the key words in this book is immediately. You'll see that as you read. At least once a chapter, depends on your translation, if not twice a chapter, he says the word immediately, then immediately. Everything's immediate in Mark. Almost just bringing you through this life of Jesus, compacted in these short 16 chapters, the three years of Jesus' ministry, and all that he accomplished, Mark wants to display Jesus in a way that is profound, simple to understand, and beautiful. The way Mark uh, organizes this book Sometimes you'll be maybe kind of going, well, that seems out of order compared to Luke or, or Matthew. Mark kind of organizes this book geographically. It, one section over here, all that took place in Jesus' ministry near Galilee, and then on his journey towards Jerusalem is kind of how the book progresses. But Mark wants to answer ultimately the question, what then is this man? Who is this man? That the disciples wondered at, that we have wondered at, that we still wonder at. And it's the most important thing we can think about. Because if you look at the life of Jesus and all that he accomplished, and then you look at your own life, and then you're left disappointed, or, or you're left feeling like, have I failed as a Christian, as a father, as a husband? Have I wasted time as an employee? Have I wasted time as a neighbor and haven't taken opportunities I should? Like I see all that Jesus did targeted every day. And then look at ourselves and be just disappointed. I think, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm prone to do that. I'm prone to see what he has done and say, why am I not doing? We'll see a lot of what Jesus has done. And I also have a tendency when I read the Bible to go, give me a checklist. I want to read this passage and I want to see 10 things I can do tomorrow so I can do it and feel like I've accomplished something good and godly and right. So give me a checklist. And a lot of what the gospel does is just instead show us Christ. You know, uh, it was kind of a, a trend 20-something years ago probably, the what would Jesus do bracelets, right? Just to try to, it was a good motive, like to try to get people to, to think about, well, what would Jesus do in this situation, you know? Uh, I'm having an argument. What would Jesus do? You know, an opportunity of generosity. Well, what would Jesus do? 
The great thing is we don't have to ask, what would he do? We can say, what did he do? What did Jesus do? And that's what the gospel account lays out for us, not so that we can just say, oh, well, I'm not doing that, but instead just to be left in awe and wonder at what he did. The more we know him, the more we know what he has accomplished and why he has done it, the more we'll just be transformed in our relationships and at work and with our neighbors and in our spending. Everything flows out of this beautiful picture of Jesus that we have. Jesus, not only as the one who has come to to, uh, hate sin and crush the snake, the serpent that destroys our soul, but Jesus who comes, who is gentle and lowly, Jesus who welcomes children and the outcasts, people who are not welcomed by anyone else. Jesus comes and, and, and we get to take him in. We get to take all of him in. And, and the more we do, the more we um, know Jesus, the more we are intimate with Jesus, the closer we are with Jesus, the more we'll be transformed. So the gospel is not about Mark. It's not about the disciples, and it's not about you or me. If we're prone to read the Bible in any way that says, well, what, where am I in this passage? What does it say about me? What is this going to do for me? That's oftentimes what we say, because we're just consumer culture, right? What is everything going to do for me? Well, rather than ask that, say, what is this doing for Jesus? How does this display Jesus? What does this show me about who he is, what he has done How beautiful is Jesus? The gospel accounts lay out his life. It's oftentimes skipping out on details. They can't record everything. But the things that are recorded by God's design are here for us. Sometimes shocking, other times convicting, but all times awe-inspiring. As we stand before God and we say, who then is this? Well, John, uh, sorry, Mark, in the opening of his book, answers that question. In the very first line, if you look at Mark 1.1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. The amazing thing about the way Mark writes his gospel, though, is he displays, out of all the gospel accounts, he displays the humanity of Jesus most of all. But yet he opens with this key reminder who Jesus is. There's a gospel, a good news of Jesus, who is the Son of God. He's the Son of God, but he is also the Son of Man, which is the key way he's referred to in this book. The key verse, I would say, of this entire book, the the pinnacle of this book is... Chapter 10, verse 45. You'll know the verse well. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, in the opening... 1 verse 1, referred to as the Son of God, and then in the pinnacle verse, the Son of Man. That verse alone tells us so much about Jesus. But it's, it's kind of the summary of the entire book, his service and his sacrifice. We see it in chapter 10, verse 45. But what you read 
are the words carefully that says the Son of Man came. Son of Man, so it's recognizing his humanity, but at the same time recognizing his eternality, that he existed before. He came, and he came with a purpose. He was not just another man. He was not just a holy man, a special man. Mark began the gospel by reminding us he was the Son of God, but he was incarnate. The Son of Man came. He did not come to be served so that everyone would bow down and feed him grapes. He didn't come so that people could say, um, what can we do for you? Instead, he came to display the heart of God as he himself, being the third person of the Trinity, is the heart of God is on display in Jesus. He is the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve. And you'll see that in the uh, first half of this book, really the service of Jesus. You see it in all of his miracles, in all of the, the things that he did for other people, how he served. And the, the beautiful thing about the gospel accounts when we, we see what Jesus did, why he did it, is yes, as much as we are to gaze upon Jesus as just solely as the beautiful Savior he is, we also, from there, are transformed to say, am I like him? That's our goal in life as a Christian, right? I want to grow in Christ-likeness. I want to be like Jesus. And so that's where the, the movement of what would Jesus do came out of. I want to be like Jesus. So I'm going to ask, what would he do? Because I want to be like him. So we look and we say, well, there's a lot of things that we cannot do like Jesus. We can't do what he did. When someone touches our robe, power does not go out of us. We cannot speak to the wind and the waves and they obey us. There's nothing in us that can be like those things. And so rather than be discouraged by them, we are left in awe at them. But as a whole, we see the heart of Christ. And we say, am I more like Jesus? Am I more like that heart, that heart of service and sacrifice than I was one year ago, 10 years ago? If Christ came, the Son of Man came not to be served, am I more concerned today than I was 10 years ago about being served or about serving? Am I about what people can do for me, or am I about what I can do for others? Am I growing in that? Am I growing in my offering myself to other people, or am I growing in a way that is opposed to what Jesus is? Am I growing the older I get to say, well, who can serve me? That's what we are going to see in the life of Christ. If we want to be more like Christ, we're going to realize that being more like Christ is being more of a servant, and not one who is served. We're going to ask, what can I do for others? What has God given me? What does God want to do here and there? And, and then, what kind of sacrifice do I need to make to do it? Think of the sacrifice of Jesus, not only his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, but the life of sacrifice that he lived. And think, is that what I'm doing in order to accomplish his purposes as Christ did? The beautiful thing in Jesus is that we see the ultimate end of his life, the end of his earthly life, we think, is at the cross. But we know he rose again, victorious, and he still lives bodily. And yet that pinnacle moment in Jesus, the crucifixion, is really why he came ultimately. 
And that's the greatest service that he gave to the people. Yes, he healed people. Yes, he, he showed people to, how to care for others. He taught people. He preached. But ultimately, he came to serve by being the sacrifice, by dying. He served. The king of heaven stooped down to serve you and serve me. He served us because we couldn't serve ourselves. We couldn't do it. What needed to be done could not be done by us or anyone beside us or a whole army of us. We could not have accomplished it. Christ came to serve us in the way that we needed most. And he had to humble himself to do it. That's service. To humble oneself. To not ask, well, what can I get out of this? But instead, what can I give? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he did serve us well. In the cross, we see our sin and all the effects of it. The, the offense towards God. The, the, the brokenness in our own hearts. The, the agony, the, 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 the guilt, the shame. The, the, the wedge that it drives between us and God. When, when, when we sin and we have that guilt on our hearts, well, for some reason, I just want to draw back from God. And Christ came to serve so that we might be drawn in to God. To pull us near to himself. And he does it through service at the cross. Serving us in his life and showing us the welcoming uh, person that he was. But ultimately at the cross. Where he said, all who would come. If you see him for who he is. If you believe in, in what he has done and accomplished for you. He's serving you there. Though dying, he lives. Dying, he served us by dealing with our sin in a way that we could not. He came to serve us and to give his life to sacrifice as a ransom for many. So what we have before us then in this gospel of Mark, this gospel according to Mark, is a straightforward clear, concise explanation and a display of Jesus. The answer of the question, who then is this? What sort of man is this? The Son of God and the Son of Man who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The service and the sacrifice of Jesus on full display, page after page, verse after verse. As this book unfolds, it unfolds what he says at the very beginning. The beginning of the gospel. The good news. All of it was good news. That God would even come. That God would walk among his people. Walk among filthy sinners. It's a welcome message for us. It's a welcome message for a world, even though they may be averse to it, they may not understand. Those who have not seen Christ in all of his beauty would go, it doesn't make sense to me. It's the good news that he would do this. It's the good news that he would come. It's the good news for you. It's the good news for me, for our neighbors, for our friends, and for our enemies. That Jesus comes to reconcile us to himself to make a way for us to know God and be right with God and for our sin to be erased. Jesus came to serve us in that way. 
And so as we see all the gospel accounts, the stories, I love the, par- the parables. I love the, the examples that Jesus set. I just love how he cared for his disciples. I love how he cared for the outcasts. With this, this gospel, according to Mark, unpacks Jesus. The greatest need we have to unpack Jesus, not unpack ourselves or ask, where am I in this? Or where's the to-do list? But instead, to gaze upon him. Rather than look inward at ourselves, we look at Jesus. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we will just naturally either, this is the case, when you actually see Jesus, you will either be attracted to him and drawn towards him or you will be repelled by him. The gospel is offensive to those who do not believe. It is offensive and they are repelled by him. He is either a lying lunatic or he is the Lord of all. And we'll see that. We look forward to seeing this Jesus for all that he is because the more we see him, the more we know him, the more we appreciate all that he has done and why he has done it, we will, we will come to him. We'll draw near to him. And that's the only way to produce genuine obedience is not through giving me a to-do list because I can do it without my heart. The only way to have your heart behind your obedience is to love Christ, is to love him. And you can't produce love just like you can't with other people. You can like say it a hundred times if you wanted to, I better love this person, but I love this person. You can't produce a love. It's something that grows. It's something that as you appreciate things in a person, that's where love flows out of. It's the same with us in Christ. So the more we see him, see who he is in his uh, godness and in his humanity, and all that he has done in his service and his sacrifice, we will love him. That's the goal. That's the goal, verse after verse, page after page, is that we would love Christ more. So that when we ask and when others ask, who then is this? We can say, isn't he lovely? I want to be with him. I want to be near him. I don't want to offend him. I don't want to walk away from him. I want to be near him the most I can be. Isn't he lovely? This is the son of man who has come not to be served, but to serve. Serve even me. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And that many includes me. Isn't he lovely? The Jesus who is serving and sacrificing for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Isn't he lovely? Let's pray. Well, Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful that you show us yourself. It is not a guessing game what you are like. It's not a guessing game whether you love us or not. We have Christ before us. Thank you for this written account that we can, uh, with your Spirit's help, open up and and discover really who who you are. We want to know you. We want to love you above all things. We want to be drawn to you away from our own inclinations, away from our own desires, And instead, we want to desire you above all things, because that is where joy is found. So God, would you do that for us as we study this book together? Even as we go apart uh, at this time and go to this this week ahead, 
that you would draw us into yourself, that we would study your word and see you for who you are, that we may glorify you and receive much joy from that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.